0: Today on CityCast Denver. The Marshall Fire that burned through Louisville, Superior, and unincorporated Boulder County back in December was deadly, destructive, demoralizing, and for many of us, a total surprise. Here in Colorado, we know wildfires, but not in the suburbs. So why was it so surprising? And does that say more about the fire or us?
1: Fire is what makes humans human. Um, It's also what makes Earth, Earth. No other planet in our solar system
0: has enough oxygen to sustain fire. And yes, we're going to talk about climate change. Today is Thursday, January 13th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. The only other thing is just try not to touch anything while you're talking because the audio picks up everything. Everything on a desk. I mean, yeah,
1: you know. yeah. No, I know. My <laughs> husband's a film score composer slash audio oh. engineer. So, so,
0: you know, <laughs> I hear about
1: this a lot. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm any better at it, but I do hear about it a lot.
0: <laughs> well, Dr. Stavros, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. Dr. Natasha Stavros is a fire ecologist and the director of the Earth Lab Analytics Hub at CU Boulder. But before that, she was personally evacuated from two megafires in California in 2003 and 2007. So for her, the Marshall Fire last month was personal, but not a surprise. So after everything you've been through personally with fire, and now as a scientist who studies it, why do you think fire and wildfires are so hard for people to wrap their heads around?
1: You know, it's a thing that I think everybody's going to experience. Um, That's actually one of the reasons why I really like studying fire. Fire is what makes humans human. Um, It's also what makes Earth, Earth. No other planet in our solar system has enough oxygen to sustain fire. And humans are human because we were able to use fire as a tool. And so fire is this like intrinsic thing that every human being is connected to on some level. And you know, especially with the changing landscape um, for so many ways that it's changing, right? There's climate change, there's population increases, there's migration as people move from one place to another, there's development, which grows out into the wildlands. So all of these different changes are leading to a changing firescape and more and more people are going to be directly impacted. And I think the important thing is, is that, you know, for millennia, we've used fire on the landscape. Um, In fact, we've seen evidence that for at least 92,000 years, humans have been using fire to alter the landscape. And so it's really just in the United States that was colonized by European settlers who came from countries that didn't have fire that initiated this or evoked this fear of fire. And we're still living with that fear of fire today But the reality is, is that it's so much a part of our lives and it's going to continue to be a part of our lives and we're all going to be directly impacted. And so the question is not, you know, about the fear of fire. The question is really more about what are we going to do to make more resilient landscapes?
0: It's all about our approach. I never thought about that. It's like approaching it wrong is missing this whole element like you're saying that in people indigenous to the land had already knew how to deal with for millennia. So you've been studying fires for well over a decade, and I wonder what stands out to you about the conditions that led to this particular fire? So fire needs
1: three ingredients on the landscape. Um, fire needs three ingredients at a very small scale, like a flame or a candle, right? That's heat, oxygen, and fuel. But when you're talking about fire on the landscape, the three ingredients are ignition, weather, and fuel. And so when you're looking at, you know, the conditions that led to Marshall Fire, to me, it's very evident that this is clearly a climate fire. And what I mean by that is it is extremely rare for a fire to happen in December. Mm. Um, And uh, that is actually a result of changing climate so the story for Marshall fire begins in February of 2021 when we saw a lot more snow than expected and this sort of set the water reserves for the growing season and then in May of 2021 we saw more rain than expected and this is right at the start of the growing season so that really initiated a lot of the grass growth and then come July Peak growing season, we had again more rain than expected. And so, right when the fuels would start to dry out, we continued to grow them by providing them more water. And then, come fall, we actually saw a snow deficit of about three feet. And this dried out all of the grasses that we had. And so, when you actually look at the fuel accumulation, Boulder County, where the Marshall Fire happened, had 60 to 70% increase above normal in fuel, in grasses. And so we had the fuel, and then we dried it out, and then we had a wind event. And so these set up the conditions for there to be a fire. And to be honest, that third ingredient, ignition, is quite inevitable when you have humans interacting with the landscape because there are literally dozens of ways that there can be a spark. And all it takes is one spark and the right conditions. And then you have a fire.
0: So this is a fire that we can actually connect and attribute to climate change.
1: I don't know that I would go as far as saying that it is climate change. Okay. Um, the, a lot of fire scientists would be hard pressed to attribute a single fire to climate change. But what we do know about climate change is that as we pump more carbon into the atmosphere, we create a blanket around the earth. And this blanket warms the earth. And the warmer earth is, the more water that air can hold in the form of water, not snow. And so this changes how, when, and where water is distributed, which is what we saw this year. Now, there's a lot of reasons why you can see variation from year to year, including El Nino and La Nina, um, and so you know climate is not just climate change, but everything that we saw this year are what we expect to see more of as we continue to warm the Earth. If that makes any sense.
0: Totally, totally. I just think it's important to to sort of qualify it or or explain it in that way because sometimes it's really hard. For us to make the connections between how the climate, you know, how climate changing is impacting our lives and and what that can lead to.
1: And I will say that I think this fire in particular is the first time in my career that I've ever felt comfortable calling this a climate fire. Um, And the main reason for that is because if we go back to that conversation about fear, Um, our response to fear was to suppress all fires. And so what that did is it led to a lot of fuel accumulation in forested landscapes. And so whenever we've seen a megafire that happened in a forested landscape before, it was very hard to say, well, is this because there was a lot of fuel available from the way that we managed the land, or is this because of climate? And in this particular instance, when you have grasslands, those fuels don't really stay around for very long. And so it is a little easier to make the connection that in fact, it was climate that led to the accumulation of fuel.
0: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. contain and the fire's done but what happens afterward is is obviously a a huge part of this ongoing conversation about the uh, lasting impacts of of mega fires um so as people are you know they're starting to rebuild their lives but what are we looking at in terms of climate and environmental impacts that are still around after the fire
1: so there's a number of different impacts for this particular fire for marshall fire um it It could affect the water reserves that you have, so reservoirs, because it was located near reservoirs. So you have all of that ash, both from burning grasses, but also from homes that are built of toxic materials. And all of that leaches into the soil, and it can end up in water reserves. So that is a longer-term impact. It's a little less well-studied. It's still an area with a lot of open questions, Um, But we definitely saw that up in Fort Collins after the High Park fire in the Poudre River that was just black from ash and runoff. So water quality is one longer-term impact that you could expect. Another has to do with air quality. So as I mentioned, we, we burned homes, which are made of materials that can be quite toxic And so these, some of these can stick around for quite some time. Um, Some of like volatile organic compounds can actually sit as residue um, on walls for people, right? So there's actually a lot of longer-term impacts that people whose homes may not have been directly affected by
0: flames may still experience in the coming months. Yeah, I'm just thinking about when you... I, you know, I've accidentally melted plastic on the stove, putting something too close to it and how awful that smells. I can't imagine on a scale that large, all of that Mm -hmm. toxic Mm -hmm. residual stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the larger scale implications of, of change and, and things that we need to do to address these situations with, with climate change and fires Do you think that that change needs to come on a policy and sort of corporate level, you know, like the bigger things that we don't as everyday citizens really have control of, but these larger corporations and as well as our policymakers maybe could be doing differently?
1: That's a great question. Um, So systematic change, right? Changing the way that we live with fire, going from uh, living with fear of fire to living in in a... Fire resilient landscape. It it involves everybody, right? So, it involves policy. It involves businesses that are involved, like insurance and reinsurance companies. It involves power companies that are distributing power vast distances and increasing fire danger. Um, it it involves um, providing incentives for materials or harm home hardening. Right. So that can even be in the development range. So in real estate and financial markets, and then it also involves people. Right. So you can also pressure your local government to start thinking more holistically. So right now, development and zoning is all done on a local level. And so talking with your local government about, hey, don't allow that developer to develop out into this really high risk area There's also talking to your local governments um, about power and utility and, you know, how are they working with the utility companies to reduce fire danger in your area, Um, as well as like managing the land. Hey, we have a lot of grasses. Grasses are really high right now. What are we going to do to mitigate that? Are we going to do a prescribed burn on a day when it's safe, when there's not 120 mile an hour gusts? Right. You know, if that fire had happened on a day when there wasn't winds, this wouldn't have happened. Um, So there's a lot that we can do and pressure our local communities to start doing to build more resilient communities.
0: So Dr. Stavros, I just have to say, I think about how many of these interviews you've probably done and how every year our fire situation gets worse. Do you ever feel like you're screaming into the void or do you think these things are, are resonating so the
1: there's been a lot of chatter about the recent movie on netflix about don't look up i'm thinking about it right now yeah absolutely yeah at this exact moment i say we sit tight and assess sit tight and assess sit tight and then assess the sit tight part comes first and you got to digest it that's the assessment period that feels really close to home. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll be totally honest, I have not watched it. Um, <laughs> mostly because I'm living it right now. Yeah. Like I just, I can't, it's I too don't much. have the capacity. Um, so yeah, there's an, there's an element of that. And the other side of the story is that I know how human beings work and it needs to be personal. Mm. And so I see every single... FIRE event, I see every single time that I talk to the media as an opportunity to reach a new audience who might be listening, who might be able to help make that cultural shift from fear to acceptance and change the dialogue from how do we put it out to how do we build a more resilient community, right? And so... There's an element where I can get frustrated. And on the other side, I feel hopeful because more and more people want to have the conversation.
0: Well, Dr. Stavros, thank you so much for joining me. This has been enlightening. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. King Super's workers across the metro region went on strike yesterday, calling for safer work environments and higher pay. We're going to be following the story as it develops, so stay tuned. And if you missed it, go back and listen to my Monday interview with union president Kim Cordova about what led to this tumultuous moment. And while all those grocery store workers were picketing outside of their stores, state lawmakers converged on the Capitol yesterday to kick off another round of lawmaking. The Democrats still control both chambers in the governor's mansion, and they're flushed with federal pandemic relief money, so this should be a busy few months. They unveiled their platform earlier this week, so we'll be looking for legislation on affordability, education, public safety, and health care. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Hey, did you know we have sister podcasts and newsletters in other cities, too? Our latest edition is in Pittsburgh, so if yins have friends or family in Pittsburgh, tell them to check it out. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See yins later. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh my God, our poor colleagues in Pittsburgh are going to be like, what are they doing in Denver? They don't even understand the word yins, and they're out here trying to be... (laughs) spouting their Pittsburghese